be uh, just about an hour, and it's at 6 o'clock, so should be before most people's bedtime. So uh, this, this after, no, it's not afternoon, it's morning still. It's been a long day already, but we are, uh, if you have a Bible with you, we've been uh, during this Advent season walking through Hebrews chapter 11. You can open up your Bible uh, to that if you have one with you. I'll put some of the words right up on the screen as well if you don't have one with you. But you ever start telling a story and realize partway through the story that it's probably about time that you need to wrap this up? Uh, that happens to me, believe it or not, relatively frequently. Sometimes I, I'm warned that this needs to start being wrapped up because Kirsten will kind of nudge me like, hey, let's, let's keep this one going. Uh, but, but, but today in the passage that we're looking at, we're looking at Hebrews 11. If you think of where we've been in the past three weeks as we walk through, the author of the book of Hebrews has been laying out, first of all, here's what faith is. And here's what faith gets us. And then he began in verse 3 with example after example of here's what it looks like to live by faith. So we've had these many examples all coming from the Old Testament. But by the time we get to verse 31, we've only gone through the first six books of the Old Testament. And kids that are in Awana might remember how many books there are in the Old Testament. It's 39, right? 39 books in the Old Testament, and by the time we're at verse 31 here in Hebrews 11, there are only six of those books that we've gone through. And so what we're going to see as we walk through the final verses of Hebrews chapter 11 today, it's kind of this, oh, we better get to the rest of the Bible. And it's almost as though the author starts to just summarize all these things. We would love to have gone into much more detail in each of the ones we've heard about so far, and even in the ones that we're covering. But we're going to cover basically 33 books of the Bible in one morning through a few verses here today, as the author of Hebrews writes this letter to remind the people who, uh, coming out of the Jewish faith, gave their lives to Jesus and are now suffering for it. Uh, that's the, the context for all of these reminders that we're getting here in Hebrews 11. Here's the title of the message, Awesome and Awful Things by Faith. Here's the big idea today. God has accomplished awesome things in and through His people, and those people have often accepted awful things all by faith. We're going to see that. You're going to see a contrast as I read these nine verses to you this morning. We're going to see the beginning of it highlight these awesome things that God can accomplish through the faith of his people, and that will be immediately followed by some awful things that people can expect and learn to accept by faith as God's people. So that's where we're going today. Again, message of Hebrews, big idea is this, Jesus is better So rest in Him as you press on together by faith. Don't turn back. If you're able to, would you stand as we have this great privilege of reading the very Word of God from Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 40. God's Word says this, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, 
put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. And I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who dwells in each of us who believe. And would you be at work by your spirit now for those of us who believe, reminding us of your greatness, of all that you seek to accomplish and all that we can endure by faith. We recognize that the faith that we have even is a gift from you and we're thankful so help us not to be boastful but help us to come humbly ready to be molded by your word as your spirit works in us this morning and god for those seated seated in here uh, who have yet to repent of sin and put faith in jesus that your spirit would be at work to bring a conviction of sin that they would walk away with this gift of faith trusting in jesus that they would no longer be condemned by you as we all deserve but they would, through faith in Jesus and his work, be commended instead. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, you heard the contrast while I read it, and in your bulletin there is a spot for you to take notes along with a life group guide, and as I've said many times before, if you're not in one of the life groups, your life group is not meeting this week, hopefully that guide would be helpful for you as you seek to Get focused on Jesus. Like I prayed earlier, it's way easy in this season aimed to get us focused on Jesus, to get super distracted by so many other things. Spending some extra time working in, understanding, and applying the Word of God could be a great gift for you. And so, find a time to do that this week. All right, point number one. By faith, awesome things accomplished. You heard this list of Six, it is listed out in particular, beginning with some of the judges. So the seventh book of the Bible, I mentioned you, we already got through the first six books. Seventh book of the Bible is the book of Judges. And so these first people that are mentioned here are judges. People raised up during a period of time when God's people were kind of spiraling downward. They kept turning against God, failing to do what they said they would do, and God would then send a judge to rule over the people and to help get them back on track, and that would work for a while, and then they would all turn back. And then God would graciously send them another one. And then he refers to David, who was the second king in Israel. And he began this long line of kings that would follow in the line of David, who would rule for many years uh, in both Israel and Judah when the nations split. And again, you had some of these kings who were faithful and some who were very unfaithful, trying to lead people who sometimes were faithful, but very often were very unfaithful. So all of these men listed here were not perfect people. 
they're, they're held up here as examples of here's what God does in people who live by faith. But you need to know, if you've read your Old Testament, you know these people are not just men who live by faith. These are men who are deeply flawed as well. So yes, faithful, but also very, very flawed people. And then he even goes to Samuel and then uh, the, the prophets, which covers the big chunk of the rest of the Old Testament. And again, God would send people again and again to speak his word to rebellious people. Some people would listen and turn back from their sin, turning again toward God, but many continued to rebel. So that's the list that begins here. And he begins, like I said, what more shall I say? Time would fail. Like, I got to get going with this story, right? We got to keep going. We got a lot of books yet to cover as he tries to make this point of all that God accomplishes by faith. And so he again reminds us, we've seen the repeated phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith. Here we have the word through faith. And so I saw this kind of being broken up into the, the awesome things that God accomplishes by faith. As I was looking at it, I really saw kind of three categories. Uh, well, four, I guess. Three groupings of three plus one more. Okay? So the first three, I think, are this through faith, God raised up some people to step up and to be leaders over his people. They took charge. And so we see that in the first three. God raised up people who conquered kingdoms. He raised up people like the judges that I just talked about who enforced justice. He raised up people who would be the ones to obtain the promises. Now, they're all living by faith because God's promises won't ultimately be fulfilled until Jesus comes, but they did get to see the fulfillment of some promises that God had made. And so, all these people, by faith, taking charge, leading God's people. And then the list goes on. There's, there's, There's kind of three lumped together that got rescued, okay? By faith, God also accomplished awesome things in taking people that were in seemingly dangerous and almost impossible situations, and God rescued them. You remember those stories from the Old Testament? You, you, remember, you remember the story of, of Daniel when he was thrown into the den of lions? And they were hungry because we find out what happened the next day when the other guys got thrown in. But when Daniel was hanging out with the lions in the den, these hungry lions, what happened? Their mouths were like stopped. And so, so we have that example here of God rescuing people who were living by faith. By faith, they were, they, he stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire. You remember Daniel's three friends were thrown into a fiery furnace so hot that, that those who would stand above it would even get burnt. But they were thrown right into the fiery furnace and came out without anything even burnt on them at all. God by faith, rescues people by quenching the power of fire. Multiple uh, stories and accounts in the Old Testament of those who, by faith, get the privilege uh, to be rescued by God in escaping even the edge of a sword. You know that happened to David. We know that happened to Elijah, others as well. And it just keeps going on. So this list, there's ten things, ten awesome things accomplished by God, through the faith of his people. That was six of them. We've got a few more to go. They were made strong out of weakness. If you've read the Old Testament, you can't help but be amazed by how God consistently makes makes those that everybody would not expect. People who are weak. He's always picking those people, isn't he? 
the unexpected, the younger one, the uglier one, whatever it is, God is always picking those that are least expected by other people, and He is making them strong out of weakness. We see this over and over again. We see people becoming mighty in war who you never would have expected. Remember even King David, who was mentioned earlier, right? He kind of got his start by slaying a giant before becoming kind of a military giant in his own right, but he was just a shepherd boy with a slingshot, right? Putting foreign armies to flight. Again, story after story we read in the Old Testament of how God's people, though outnumbered and outpowered by all the nations around them, often would would kind of instill this kind of fear as they saw the mighty God working in this little nation, and people fled in fear. We see all these awesome things accomplished. Even this final one here mentioned at the beginning of verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. You might recall uh, both Elijah and Elisha were, were able by God's power working through them, through their faith and trust in him, saw two boys. Each of them saw a boy who had died. Their mother then, of course, mourning the loss of their son, And both of them raised from the dead. These women, these mothers, received back from the dead their own sons as God worked in his power through the faith of Elijah and Elisha. Okay, So over and over again we see this in the Old Testament. See how this might be valuable for persecuted Christians wondering if if they ought to turn back because they feel weak. They feel like this outnumbered minority. They're persecuted for their faith. They need to be reminded. Remember, we worship the God that we trust, the one that you have faith in. He is the God who does all of these things. He is is the God who accomplishes still awesome things through people who live by faith in Him. And it's good for us too, isn't it? Like, Like God doesn't change, right? And so the God who quenched the power of fire and stopped the mouths of lions, the God who accomplished all of these awesome things is the very same God we're singing to this morning. The very same God that we worship is this same God, and this God still accomplishes awesome things through people who live by faith in Him. Is God still empowering leaders to step up and take charge? Yeah. Does God still use both faithful and flawed people to do that? I I love serving as one of the leaders in this church as your lead pastor. Love serving alongside Pastor Stan. Such a godly man to have as a partner in gospel ministry. Stepping alongside the elders in the church who shepherd this church so well and live as godly examples. And so we've got these, these faithful people who have stepped up, been empowered by God to lead. God has given to so many families in our church faithful men, dads who love their kids and want to lead them spiritually. Now, do we have uh, flawless pastors and elders and dads and, 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 and teachers? All? No. But can God still accomplish awesome things through faithful yet flawed people? Yes. We see that happening. Just as God raised up uh, people, uh, even even causing people to be rescued from seemingly impossible situations in the Old Testament. We worship the same God 
you're facing maybe some impossible situation, do we still worship a God who is still able, as you just trust in Him, to work out something that seems to be impossible, miraculous even? Of course He can, right? Rescuing happened then and it has to happen now. Does God still use the weak, the foolish, the like all those that like, well, how could God use me? Do you hear like, oh, well, Sherilyn came up here and she shared some stuff of here's how God has worked through her. Well, I don't have gifts like she does. It's easy to look and compare yourself to other people and kind of expect, oh, you don't know how messed up I am. I kind of doubt that God could ever use me. And we start listing off these things. But I love passages like this, like 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where it says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. He does this all. This is, this is not just an Old Testament God doing these things, choosing the most unlikely. Our God continues to do that, choosing the, the weak and the, and, and the low, those who feel like I just don't measure up. There's no way God could use me. God continues to do that. And then that last part, God raising even people from the dead. That's what we're told Jesus came for. Jesus, uh, after dying on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, was raised from the dead. And all who put their faith in Jesus uh, were united with Christ by faith. And just as, as he was put to death, our old sinful self is put to death. And we're raised again to new life in Christ. Colossians 2 says it this way. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. In the powerful working of God. We experience resurrection through faith. Being made alive together with Him. And we could keep going on. But the reality is this. God has accomplished and continues to accomplish awesome things in and through His people through their faith. Amen? We worship a God who does that. Now, I need to, to do kind of a, a quick little warning here because, because there is a movement that's a pretty widespread kind of movement, I think originating from our nation and, and then spreading out to the rest of the world that would say, all right, end of sermon. We're going to stop at like midway through verse 35. It's kind of like, hey, through faith, you can have kind of whatever you want and God will do awesome stuff. It could be called like the word of faith movement. Some call it the prosperity gospel movement. But, but this idea that if, if I just have me enough faith and I can generate enough faith in me, my faith is going to somehow, if I like believe it hard enough and speak it authoritatively enough, that I'm going to make God give me what I want. And I want health and I want wealth. Because who doesn't, right? And, and so, so that kind of thing... Uh, th- that would be the kind of people that would then focus on, on this section here and then kind of like disregard the rest of the passage. Right? So a quick warning, there's deadly errors in what is known as the word of faith and prosperity gospel movement. Uh, it's a gross distortion of our doctrine of God. It's a form of idolatry, really. Not worshiping the God, but worshiping the things that God can get me. 
reality is that while God sometimes accomplishes awesome things in and through his people, it is also true. It is also true that oftentimes God calls his people to accept awful things by faith. Right? That is the reality of what God calls us to. So after this list of ten awesome things that God can accomplish by faith, he's going to give us an even longer list. Longer than ten will be this next list of things that God allows his people to both accept and endure also by faith. And these are going to be some awful things. You heard me read them earlier, didn't you? So let's look at those briefly. By faith, we also, as God's people, recognize we are to sometimes accept awful things. So this is still under that that verse 33 where it says, Who through faith? Then we had a list of ten awesome things, and now we're going to get into these awful things. It says, partway through verse 35, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. People were tortured through faith in God. Now, now how did they endure that torture according to this verse? How do people who are living by faith in God endure torture? Do they, do they get through this by thinking positive thoughts and demanding that they be released by faith? No, it says in fact here they refused to accept release. Why? Because they knew they ain't getting their best life now. That, that If they're going to live by faith, part of what might have to happen in the here and now is they might have to be tortured so that they might rise again to a better life. Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. These were common experiences for those who lived by faith in God. Jeremiah, I love reading through the prophet Jeremiah, but sometimes you just like, I, I want to get him an appointment with a counselor, right? You, you, need, you need to go see somebody. He, he's known as the weeping prophet, right? He, he gets to a, a, the point a few times where he's just saying, he's just saying, I, I wish I was never born. I wish my mother would have never conceived me. He's down low. And why is he there? Is it because he's being disobedient? No, it's because he's being obedient. Because he's being faithful. And because of his faithfulness, he is put in stocks and imprisoned. Many others like him. Verse 37 goes on. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Right? This is is hard to read. this This is not like some violent video game this is real this this really happened of course isaiah and jeremiah as prophets by the end of their book they're not telling us how they died because they they wrote the whole book right but but tradition was that that had been passed on from generation to generation that likely the people receiving the letter to the hebrews would have known is they would have they would have heard the story of how it was told that isaiah and jeremiah died in these ways for being prophets, for being those who would be obedient to God, living by faith. And even when they knew that people didn't like what they were hearing, they knew this is what God told me to say, so I'm going to say it. And if this is how my life ends, then this is how my life ends. 
They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Okay, so the prophets were not the guys wearing the designer suits, flying around in their private jets to their multi-million dollar homes and telling you on TV, if you just plant the seed of faith in my ministry, uh, then you're going to be blessed incredibly. That's not what the prophets look like. This is what prophets look like. Going about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Their family members were probably embarrassed to call them family members, right? But then, I love this line, of whom the world was not worthy. Isn't God so gracious that he would raise up people that would have enough faith, knowing that, that, that potentially for their faith, they could endure torture, mocking, flogging, beating, imprisonment, even be sawn in two for their faith, for just doing what God told them to do. And God sends them to people who continually turn their back on God, who have shown themselves to be stubborn, stiff-necked rebels over and over again. And God continues to send prophet after prophet after prophet, judge after judge, to rescue people who have turned against him. The world was not worthy of these people. And God continued to send them by his grace. They wandered about in deserts, mountains, and dens, and caves of the earth. I love this passage. And there's some application in this for us. You can certainly see how this would have been applicable, right? Remember the whole message of Hebrews. He's writing this to persecuted Christians who who are remembering that not so long ago, before I gave my life to Jesus, life went a lot more smoothly. Me and all my friends who now love Jesus, it's not going well for us. How encouraging would it have been for them to hear these words? Remember all these people who lived by faith and died by faith. So they're hearing these stories. And in our day, we live in a time and in a place right now of unprecedented freedom and prosperity. But that's not the case for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. We need to acknowledge the reality that, that for many there is a great cost associated with living by faith in Jesus. I'd encourage you to check this website out sometime if you've not done it before. I think it's good for us to, to be aware of and to be recognizing and to be in prayer for persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. This website has many resources for us to accomplish those things. One of the things uh, on there is this map. It's a world watch list. Here's, here's a, a list of the 50 most dangerous nations to live in if you want to live as a follower of Jesus. You can find that there. You can find access to a, a prayer app that you can download that will give you something so, so every day you can be praying for the persecuted church. You may remember just a couple months ago when our missions partner of the month, uh, Mary Beth and Bio, you know, Mary Beth having been a part of our church and now being sent out to Nigeria, serving there for, for a number of years, our global missions partners experiencing all sorts of persecution. Believers are there in Nigeria, even the death of nine family members of one person that works with them. And so this is a reality. 
even now in our world today. Here's what uh, some of the stats are. I'm not this is this is from opendoors.org. Uh, I don't know how long of a period they're looking at, uh, but the average was this: 255 Christians killed every month, 104 abducted, 66 churches are attacked, 160 Christians detained without trial and imprisoned. I'm going to send you, if you're on our church email list, I'm going to send you uh, something tomorrow uh, via email uh, from a Chinese pastor who you may have already read something about, uh, who this week was detained, but knowing he was going to be detained unlawfully, really. Um, wrote this letter ahead of time saying, I know this is coming, and 48 hours after I'm detained, I want this letter to go out. Uh, And I'm going to send that out to you if you haven't seen it yet tomorrow. But this is a reality in our world, and we need to be praying for persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Here's what they need. They don't need the prosperity gospel. That's one of the ugliest things that we export from our country uh, to people around the world, people who are struggling uh, in, 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 in a corrupt nation, they're struggling with poverty. And, and unfortunately, what comes out of here, the books that we're publishing here, and the messages that are going out on the airwaves, uh, oftentimes are uh, filled with prosperity gospel kinds of messages. And pastors in these nations who have access to no training, this is the kind of training they have access to. And so being deceived uh, by many of our own, they are then deceiving many they don't need the prosperity gospel they need the real gospel they don't need a god who kind of just is obligated to do what we want if we speak it in faith and believe it hard enough they don't need that they need a god who is sovereign over all things a god who not only can accomplish awesome things but a god who can help them to endure and accept awful things all by faith that's what they need Throughout the centuries, God has been accomplishing awesome things through people who live by faith, and people who live by faith have accepted and endured awful things. This is the reality. We'll look at these last two verses. Um, Last two verses, verses 39 and 40, really um, do a good job of kind of summarizing even the theme of the whole book. We're going to see how God provides something better. Now, this is wrapping everything up that we've looked at over the last few weeks in Hebrews 11. And the author says this, and all these, okay? So all these referring to all the people he's talked about. You know, starting with Abel and Abraham and Sarah and Rahab and all of the, Moses, all these people that he's talked about. All these, though commended through their faith. You remember that from verse 2? If you got your Bible with you, look back at Hebrews 11, verse 2. In verse 1, we have the definition of here's what faith is, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 2, we are, how are we commended by God? Through faith, right? And so these were commended through faith. They, like everybody, a sinner before God, deserved God's condemnation, but instead of condemnation, God commends some, and it's through those who live by faith. They were commended through faith but they did not receive what was promised. God had given them many promises, but we talked about this all throughout the chapter, that Abraham and Sarah would die having not seen God's promise of descendants as numerous as the sands on the seashore. They didn't see that. By the time we get to all the way to the end of the book of Genesis, a couple of generations later, we're in Exodus chapter 1, and there's 70 people, right? That's it. And they're slaves. They're not even living in the promised land. They're living as slaves. So they 
died not receiving what was promised. But God had provided something better for us. Now remember, the writer of Hebrews is on this side of the cross, pointing these believers back to Jesus and the new covenant ushered in by his blood, reminding them that we got something better, and that something better is Jesus. Remember, that's the whole theme of the book. Don't be turning back. I know it's hard, but don't turn back, because we got something so much better. We got Jesus. They were longing for that. They were looking ahead to that, but they didn't get to see it. God commended them still through their faith, but we, we have Jesus, and he's better. Don't turn back. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That's verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us, that, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. See, the Old Testament saints, those who died in faith before the coming of Jesus and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, they, they also are commended by God through faith. They are made perfect through the perfect righteousness of Jesus, right? Just like we who trust in Jesus will be made perfect, not, not because we're working really hard at it, but because as we submit ourselves to Him, the Holy Spirit works in us to bring us into conformity with Christ, right? One thing I love about these weeks before Christmas is this reminder that we're a part of something so much bigger than us. That, that not even just all around the world, but, but from centuries before, people looking ahead to this promised Messiah who was to come. And then like the, the Christians who were receiving this letter to the Hebrews. And then all throughout church history, these examples of people who have lived by faith. Through them, God has accomplished awesome things. And through them, many have, through faith, many of them have endured and accepted awful things. Now, I was going to end with some application. I was really, really wanting to go to Hebrews chapter 12 uh, because I think the application of all of this is really in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. I was going to preach on something else next week. That's what I'm going to preach on on Sunday. We'll be in Luke chapter 2 on Christmas Eve. But next Sunday, we're going to look at the first two verses of Hebrews 12 because it's really the application of all of this. But, he, but here's the deal. I recognize that a number of you, it's like time. You're going to start traveling next week, and you might not be able to be with us next week. And like I've mentioned already, it's easy, really easy to get very distracted at this time of year. And so I want to just close with this application that uh, we're going to sing a song together that we've sung a number of times before, a song called Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Now, that word mystery, we kind of use it differently. That's, like, we use it like, like it's a book, like, oh, we don't know what's coming, or, or a movie, we don't know what's coming, that kind of way. The, the way the Bible used the word mystery in the New Testament, we see that word over and over again, referring to the mystery of the gospel of Christ. It's something that was once hidden to some degree and is progressively revealed and made much more clear, okay? Uh, and so we see that. Remember that drawing I've put up of mine the last two weeks. I don't have it on a slide this week. But, but there's this kind of increasing revelation that comes from God to his people that more and more clearly they get to see who this, who this suffering servant's going to be, who this coming prophet, this better king, this better priest who's coming. They're, they're seeing all of that kind of come, and, and it culminates in the person of Jesus, right? And then we also look back at that 
And, and in many ways, it's like a mystery that was once hidden and now revealed. Oh, it's Jesus. The, the one that we've been longing for, this coming prophet, this coming priest, this coming king, this Messiah, the anointed one. It, it, it's all met in this one person, Jesus, fully God and fully man. And we're going to sing about that because that's something we want to behold. And so during this busy season, I just want to encourage you not to neglect opportunities to just reflect on who Jesus is and what he's come to do. A song like this, I think, is super helpful. Not totally a Christmas song. We're going to sing lots of Christmas songs next Sunday and on Monday. This isn't totally a Christmas song, but it begins uh, uh, with a Christmas theme. Because it's a song that has four verses. And in the first verse, we are reminded of this wondrous mystery of the birth of Christ. Of God taking on human flesh and coming to live among us. We're going to sing about that. We need to behold that this Christmas, this wondrous mystery. Then the second verse talks about his sinless life. That, that he, unlike Adam, who failed to live a sinless life, Jesus comes as a new and better Adam, uh, who, who lives the life that God caused us to live, and we've failed to live. And then Jesus dies in a sacrificial death in the place of sinners who don't deserve that. We deserve the death, the punishment. We don't deserve grace, but Jesus comes and dies for us. And then the final verse reminds us, oh, I lost it, but you know, there it is. The final verse reminds us of his resurrection and his second coming. And so we, like the people that we've read about all throughout Hebrews chapter 11, have not seen Jesus face to face. They look forward, we look back, but we live by faith. Not only looking back, but looking ahead as well. That that for those of us who are saved, we can say, God has accomplished awesome things because I was a sinner. I I used the line, as Pastor Stan and I were talking one time this week, I used a line from one of the rappers I listened to, I was on my way to hell with a full tank, right? That's the reality. It's not like I was like spiritually neutral and I could go either way. No, it's like I was on my way to hell with a full tank. But Jesus saved me. Came and rescued a sinner like me. God accomplishes awesome things. And it all comes through faith. It wasn't once Jeremy kind of got a few things figured out, then God came and rescued me. No, that wasn't it at all. God accomplishes still today awesome things through faith. And, and through faith, we as God's people can learn to endure and accept even awful things if that's what comes as we live faithful and obedient lives before him. Because we know our best life is not now. We, we have in Christ something greater yet to come. We're going to sing at the end about the resurrection uh, that comes at, at Jesus' return. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power, resurrected, as we will be when he comes. That's when our best life comes, when Jesus comes again. During this Advent season, that's what we long for, that's what we look for, and after Advent's done, we long for and look for that as well. But it's been good to emphasize it now. So, the worship team would come up and get ready to lead us in singing that closing song. I'll pray. Father, uh, help us with that. Uh, It's going to get crazy maybe this week, or maybe for some it's not going to get crazy. It's going to get really quiet and really lonely. And we're going to be tempted to take our eyes off of Jesus. But God, would you help us not to take our eyes off of Jesus?
would you help us to come and regularly behold the wondrous mysteries of the birth, of the life, of the death, of the resurrection, and of the second coming of Jesus. Help us to begin getting our eyes fixed on that, even as we sing this song together now. In Jesus' name, amen.